Well, good morning and welcome to High Street. We're so glad you are here with us this weekend, whether you're joining us in the room or online. We want to say welcome and uh, we're glad to be at church today. It's awesome to see you guys. You guys look great uh, this morning. And we're kicking off a brand new series called Advice for Life. And we'll be going through the book of Proverbs over the coming weeks. And so we're pumped about this series. And uh, I want to ask you uh, a question. And that question is, do you like being told what to do? Everybody said, yeah, absolutely not, right? No, I don't know about y'all, but I don't exactly love uh, to be told uh, what to do either. And, uh, you know, I recently have been reading through or, or listening to a book called Soul Keeping by a pastor named John Ortberg. And in this book, he talks about how when you hurry, often you miss the presence of God. When you're in a hurry, we often miss the presence of God. And uh, I don't know about y'all, but whenever I'm driving somewhere, like I'm getting there. It is, I, when, you, when you plug in an address in somewhere you've never been before and it says 29 minutes, I'm doing it in 27, all right? We just went to Gulf Shores, Alabama on vacation and uh, the, the whole trip is like, man, how fast can we get there? How fast can we get back? I don't know if any other dads in the room can relate to that, but I, when I'm driving somewhere, it's with a purpose. And so uh, my wife, as we were, we were driving along one day, uh, she kind of said to me, she, we were talking about the book and things and she goes, well, you're, you're kind of in a hurry a lot when you drive, so maybe you should slow down a little bit. And I'm like, really? I should? That's, that's really good that you tell me that. Thank you um, for, for telling me to slow down. And uh, I was like that towards her because we don't like to be told what to do. Even though my wife was correct, uh, I don't oftentimes want to be told what to do. But we know this in life is that left up to our own wisdom, our own understanding, our own thoughts, like we need guidance. And we don't just need guidance from other people. While that is helpful, you should surround yourself with wise people. We need wisdom and guidance from God himself, right? Someone who, you know, is above our own human way of thinking, who has given us truth to follow. And that's really what Proverbs is. As I was discussing this with Pastor Eddie and the team as we were getting prepared, it's like God could have chosen through the Proverbs to give us anything, but these are the topics, this is the discussion in which he has chosen to give us wisdom and guidance in. And so as we trek through the Proverbs, this is the goal of the series is to see, okay, God, how do I practically apply these things to my life? And so I think it's important as we jump into this book, we understand some background information about it. And so a proverb is really this. A proverb is a, a sentence right, that is short and concise in nature that's meant to elicit wisdom. It's short and concise. It's meant to elicit wisdom. And I don't know if you've ever read through the book of Proverbs, but it always feels like it's stopping you. And that's for a purpose, that Proverbs are these short chunks of wisdom designed to stop us, to reflect on them, and then that reflection then turns to application. You know, in a typical proverb, as we look at the book of Proverbs, what you'll see is, a, is kind of a pattern here, is that it's typically a two-line unit. So each individual proverb is typically a two-line unit with the second sentence relating back to the first sentence. This is called parallelism, all right? There's different types of parallelism, but uh, I'll give you one of my favorite proverbs as an example. Proverbs 29.11 says, a fool gives full vent to their rage, but the wise 
bring calm in the end. And so you see how these play off each other. What does a foolish person do is they give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. And so within Proverbs, sometimes we'll see whole sections play off each other, but sometimes it can just feel like they're individual little statements right there. And that's designed for us to reflect and to apply them to our lives. Now, when we look at the book of Proverbs and uh, the authorship of it, uh, many biblical scholars are in agreement that King Solomon was probably the one who compiled most of the Proverbs. King Solomon was the son of King David, and this is important because he's also, we also learn about Solomon in 2 Kings chapter 4. And what we learn about him in 2 Kings chapter 4 is that he is the wisest man of all men. Okay, that's what scripture says. He's the wisest of all men. Like not just was, you know, he kind of wise. He was the wisest out of everyone. And it was King Solomon uh, in 2 Kings chapter 4. It tells us that he wrote over 3,500 Proverbs during his lifetime. Now the book of Proverbs in and of itself out of the 31 chapters, there's not 3,500 individual Proverbs, but there are a lot. But Solomon contributed to a lot of this. When you look at biblical scholars, they'll oftentimes break the 31 chapters of Proverbs into five different sections. And three of these five sections, the beginning of these sections list King Solomon at the beginning. They name his name. And so it's very likely he compiled many of these Proverbs and they came from him. But this wasn't just good advice from King Solomon. You know, I once read a Forbes article that, uh, that said if you factored in inflation, inflation, King Solomon was, would actually be the wealthiest person to have ever lived. And it wasn't just because of, like, because of that that we should listen to him, okay? The reason that Solomon was so wise is because God planned it that way. It was God who gave Solomon the wisdom. The wisdom that he had came directly from God. His, his wisdom was divinely inspired. So when you're reading through the book of Proverbs, you're not just reading good advice, you're reading godly advice. That's what Proverbs is. It's not just good advice, it's actually godly advice that we can take and that we can apply to our lives. Now, I think it's important. I don't know if you've ever read through Proverbs. It, it, it is a great point to jump off. If you're in here and you're like, man, I want to start reading my Bible. Maybe that's a goal that you have right now. Or you're struggling with consistency in that. Proverbs is a great place to jump in. And within Proverbs, we see two things. We see promises of God, but we also see principles given to us from God. So a promise is something from God that is unchanging. Much of what we're talking about today is unchanging. But a principle, right, means that it's generally true. And here's what I mean by that. Hang with me here. Is, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard Proverbs 22:16, but it says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, as I think about my two children, as I think about Cash and Nova, I, my goal is to train them up in the ways of God so that my hope is, my prayer is that they will not depart from it when they grow older. But at some point in their lives, they are going to have to make the decision whether or not they will submit to God's authority. Now, the principle is generally true that if you raise a child in the way of the Lord, they will follow after that. But we all know this. Some of you have raised your children that way, and maybe you have a son, a daughter, who's wayward. They're not living under the authority of God. Well, most of the time that's true, but it's not always a promise. That individual person still has to make that decision. 
right? Or uh, in Proverbs, you see that the righteous person, right, will prosper and they will inherit the earth. And some of you might know someone, you're like, they're the most righteous person I know, but it seems like things have gone bad for them. Right, God never promises us elsewhere in scripture a life free from trial and struggles. But in general, right, if you're following the advice of Proverbs, maybe you're not going out and you're drinking heavily on a regular basis, right? And you're not uh, sleeping around with whoever, or uh, Proverbs talks a lot about laziness. Maybe you're not uh, being a sluggard. If you're taking care of your body, those things are gonna benefit your health if you're not doing those, right? And Proverbs directs us towards that. Those are principles that are generally true. And today, I wanna jump in in Proverbs chapter one here because we see, if we were to ask ourselves, how do we have a wise life? This is the starting point. If you're sitting there today and you're like, I want wisdom, and uh, I've heard it said that if you don't think you need more wisdom, that's a sign that you need more wisdom, all right? So all of us should be in that boat. And I think if you polled, I said this in the first service, if you took a poll of the world that we live in, the general population, most people would say, hey, we want wisdom. I don't think there's too many people that would say, I would love to be classified as a foolish person. But the question then is, how do we have wisdom? How do you have wisdom in your life? Thankfully for us, Proverbs paints a very clear picture of how we can be on this path to wisdom. In Proverbs 1.7, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And whenever I was younger, I didn't exactly understand what uh, the fear of the Lord was. I was like, why would I be scared of God, right? I don't know if anyone else was in Sunday school or whatever growing up, like, what, a fear of of the Lord? Like, that's confusing. Why would I be scared? But as we look at the Hebrew word for fear here, what it's really talking about is a respect and a reverence for God. It's a respect and a reverence for God. So think about it this way. If, If you're never respectful and reverent, towards the God who created you, why would you ever submit to anything else that he says? Like, that, that is the starting point of wisdom. All else we find in the Proverbs and the, the advice we see in a multitude of different areas in our life, it all starts with what? It starts with humbling ourselves before God, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I'll paint a picture like this. Are, are any of you guys horse people? Like, you love horses. Anybody? There was like no one in the first service who loved horses. And I was like, man, in a crowd that size, that's surprising. I don't mess around with horses, all right? I didn't grow up around animals and stuff. Like, I don't mess around with horses, I'm just telling you. Because whenever I was working on a farm after I just had graduated from high school, uh, there was a couple horses on this farm that I worked at, and uh, they had a dog that was a boxer. And bless his heart, this dog was dumb, okay? And uh, this boxer, he was always messing around with all the animals, the other ones, he's like playful. Well, he was messing around too much with the horses and I'm riding on a zero turn, like farm boss lawnmower, like it's loud. But I see this dog is messing with the horse and it's behind it and this horse, kicked something fierce with this boxer right in the face, all right? And it just squared him right in the jaw. And on the mower, I can hear this flesh-on-flesh sound hitting, okay? That dog didn't mess with the horses anymore. But I say that to say, like, I have a respect and a reverence for horses. Like, I I will uh, look at that and, you know, they're powerful, I understand that. 
Well, I, I want to have this same approach to God. If God is the creator of the universe and he's the author of human life, there should come along with that a respect and a reverence towards him. And that's not just a one-time decision, but that's a daily decision in our lives that we have a respect and a reverence for God. Because as we do that, as we submit to our creator, that then transitions to the other parts of our lives. That's the beginning of wisdom and of knowledge. And you know, in the, in the, in the second part of this verse, it says, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Before I worked here at High Street, I spent about 10 years um, coaching high school football and high school baseball. And uh, I know we have some other coaches and teachers in the room. And uh, sometimes you get some foolish kids, all right? And they don't, they don't wanna listen. Uh, and I remember in coaching, you know, it was funny, like sometimes you would have a kid and they just would not listen to you. It almost seemed like hey, as if you're trying to like hurt them. It's like, yeah, I want you to go 0 for 4 and strike out three times. That's really helping the team, but you're still not gonna listen, okay. And that's frustrating when that happens. And with those type of kids, what I honestly a lot of times end up doing is you kind of just pull back and you stop wasting your breath and you say, you just kind of give them up to their own way because they're not listening anyways. And I think sometimes this is what God does to us. I mean, this is what he did with the Israelite people in the Old Testament. They wanted kings, so he gave them kings, right? They oftentimes would not submit to God, and he would allow them to go down their path, which ultimately led to not good things for them. That a fool, right, despises wisdom and instruction, so within the book of Proverbs, really what we see happening is that we have two uh, really kind of pathways. We're at a fork in the road. We have the way of the wise and we have the way of the fool. So we have the way of the wise and we have the way of the fool. And each of us have to make a choice, which path are we gonna go down? What are we gonna do? It's this wisdom versus folly, right? Wisdom versus foolishness. And we have to make a decision, which path are we going to go down? You know, uh, what are the benefits though? Okay, how do we know if we're walking in wisdom? What are the benefits of it? Why does that even matter in our lives? Well, in Proverbs 2, I think there's one of the clearest pictures of the comfort, security, peace that comes from walking in wisdom. And so in Proverbs chapter 2, verses 6 through 15, I love what it says. It says, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand the righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. Who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversiveness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. And so what we see here is that when we are walking in wisdom, there is great benefit to us. It's God who's shielding us, who's guiding us, who's protecting us, right? It's him. 
And I love it here where it talks about how the, you know, when we walk with the knowledge that God has given us, like godly knowledge, right, godly wisdom, that it's actually pleasant to, to our soul. Like our soul is at peace. Maybe you're in here and you're like, my soul's not at rest. My soul is not peace. I don't feel like pleasant at all. Actually, I feel the opposite of that. My question would be, are you walking in the ways of the Lord? But there's something sweet when you're walking with God consistently, right? Year after year. That despite the season and the circumstance, you have a pleasant feeling in your soul. I love seeing people in this church who, you know, are 60, 70, 80 years old, who've been walking with the Lord so long, and they just have this pleasant, sweet feeling in their soul. That comes from wisdom. That's where it starts. And I was thinking about this as I was driving here this morning. I felt like God put this on my heart, is that maybe there's somebody in here, and you feel like a fool, Your whole life you felt foolish, you felt less than, not smart enough, not good enough, not able to do anything for God, you'll always make those same mistakes, whatever it may be. And can I tell you that that is Satan lying to you because when you have a relationship with Jesus, right, we talked about this, these are promises, he will guide you, right? He will lead you down the good path, he will protect you. That's what God promises to us. And if you're in here and you have a less than attitude, you need to start taking the truth of scripture. You need to start taking the wisdom of God and apply it to your life and stop listening to the lies of Satan. Because God has a plan and a purpose for you. He wants to use you and he is the one who gives us wisdom. And if if that's you and you're in here and you have that self-defeating attitude, Maybe you've never felt that feeling of wisdom in your life. You've got to change and shift your mindset and understand that the God, the creator of the universe, has given us his word to guide us, that you don't have to be smart and intelligent on your own, that it's him who will guide you down a path of wisdom and of understanding. You know, as we look at what wisdom is, sometimes it's helpful to look at what wisdom is not. Sometimes we can learn about like what wisdom is from learning about what it isn't. And so uh, I talked about in that outline, right? And you see like five sections within the book of Proverbs. Well, this chapters one through nine are often referred to as Solomon's discords, right? And so at the beginning in one seven, we already talked about how that wisdom starts with fearing the Lord. Well, Solomon in chapter nine, as he's kind of closing this train of thought, he paints that picture again, this base layer, this starting point for wisdom. And then he goes on to compare and contrast lady wisdom and lady folly, or wisdom, the way of the wise, and the way of the foolish. And in this depiction, I think we see so clearly about what the foolish path looks like and how it calls to us. In Proverbs 9, 13 through 18, it it reads like this. It says, the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. That is what foolishness looks like. 
And as we look at the world around us, what's, what's the chapter or verse 13 say? It says, the woman folly is loud. Can I tell you that as you turn on your television, as you go and read the news, as you, you turn on Netflix and you're on social media and you're listening to the radio, you're on Spotify and listening to music, whatever it may be, that so often foolishness screams so loudly. It seems like it's the loudest voice ever. But the truth of God's word is better than the volume of that foolishness. And, it, and I think sometimes as believers, we get overwhelmed with it, like, it, it seems so foolish out there. How can everybody else be so wrong? How can that foolishness exist? But as we have wisdom and we have understanding of God upward, it should then point us outward. And I'm here to tell you that what the church needs to be is a voice of reason, understanding, and wisdom. And we have to have a louder voice than the foolishness that the world is calling to. As we have wisdom and understanding upward, it should always turn us outward to the people around us who are hurting and longing for wisdom. I mean, just read the news and you look at the hurt and pain in our world. And what I think why people turn violent so often is because they're scratching and calling for any bit of truth that they can hold on to. And we as believers, we have the truth, we have guidance, we have wisdom from God. And that understanding should turn us outward towards other people and should also do this. While the voice of foolishness is loud, we have to stand firm as the church. We have to stand firm as believers in holding fast to the truth of God's word and pointing people back to the wisdom of God. Because it would be so unloving for us, it would be so unloving for us not to point people toward the truth of God's word because where does it end up leading them? Towards death and towards destruction. It calls loud. And guess what? As you go throughout your week this week, Monday through Friday, and you're walking down that straight path, what does it tell us? That foolishness is gonna call for you as well. And it's a constant reorienting our hearts to submit and fear the Lord and follow his plan for wisdom, righteousness over our own, over what the way of the world is, over the sake of the foolish. That's where we're headed. That's what we're after. One thing that, caught my, that catches my mind in, in this passage is um, just in verse 17 where it says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. You know, so often that sin that maybe plagues us that we struggle with, it can seem sweet. It tastes good, maybe we return to it. Or it can't be that bad, why would God not want, it for, want that for us? Well, it, that stolen water, it tastes sweet. But at the end, what does it lead us to? Death and destruction. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But can I tell you, there are no secrets because we serve a God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us that all are naked and exposed to him to whom we must give an account to. There's nothing we do that God doesn't know about. We can't hide anything from him. He's gonna see it, he's gonna know it. And after our death comes judgment. That's what happens. He knows these things, and there are no secrets. It might seem that way, but it's just not true. It sometimes seems sweet, it seems enticing, but we have to resist those things for the wisdom 
of God. You know, here's the thing too with the, the, it being in secret. Sometimes it feels like you can sin and it only affects you. It's only your problem, right? It doesn't affect anybody else, so you don't need to worry about it too much. Can I tell you that there is no sin that you can commit that won't affect other people as well? Sin always has a ripple effect. The most internal secret thought, secret sin that you have in your life, it always has a ripple effect. And that's why we have to be on this, that we have to be on this path to ask the Holy Spirit to destroy the sin in our lives because it affects you and it affects the people who are around you. Nothing is truly done in secret. You know, uh, I love how in Proverbs, in every Old Testament book, it's really just a foreshadowing of what's to come. It's all foreshadowing towards Jesus, this Savior, this Messiah. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 12, he's having a conversation with some Pharisees who have come, these religious leaders have come to him, and they're asking him for a sign. You know what they're doing? They're challenging him. They don't have fear and respect and reverence for the Lord. They don't have respect and fear for Jesus. They come to him asking for a sign. And he says, hey, your sign's going to be the same as the prophet Jonah, right? Or the, the, these, these people of Nineveh are going to come and judge you because you won't repent. He's telling them, hey, you're not repenting. And he says this at the end of this passage in 1242. It says, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. These religious leaders, these Pharisees would have known about Solomon. They would have held him as the wisest person. And Jesus is saying, hey, the queen of the south, she traveled, right, to come and hear wisdom from Solomon. We know that from the Old Testament. He's saying, she's going to judge you because she had the humility to come and to listen to wisdom that was ordained by God. And Jesus is saying, hey, something greater than Solomon is here. And he was speaking about himself. God in the flesh, here on this earth, living a perfect life. Why? Why did he need to come? To bridge the gap for our sins. See, Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, died on a cross for our sins so that we could be saved. And just as we, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom, fear of the Lord, right? Respect and reverence for Jesus is the beginning of a relationship with God. Until we humble ourselves, and, and just as uh, scripture paints a clear picture for wisdom, it creates a clear, uh, a clear picture for salvation as well. That it comes when we admit our sins that we believe that Jesus did indeed come to this earth, live a perfect life, and die on a cross for us. And when we confess him as Lord of our life, you don't confess someone as Lord unless you're submitting to their authority. Like you just don't do that. But that is the beginning of a relationship with Jesus, and that's the beginning of wisdom, is submitting to that. Have you ever done that in your life? Practically speaking, you know, like how do we, do we have an example of this this wisdom that we're talking about? You know, there was a man who, uh, a British man named Clive Staple Lewis. Anyone ever heard of him? C.S. Lewis, right? Is what we know him by. Now, C.S. Lewis 
was a man, is a man who uh, we hold as one of the wisest Christian theologians within the modern day. He's written multiple books. People still read him even though he's been gone for a long time. I actually just talked to my friend Danny. He's going on vacation and he said, I just got a box set of C.S. Lewis books and I'm gonna be reading those on vacation. We hold C.S. Lewis as a wise Christian theologian, someone who is, is one of those fathers of wisdom, right? But he wasn't always that way. See, C.S. Lewis at one point was going down the path of foolishness. At a young age, C.S. Lewis lost his mother and she died unexpectedly and suddenly. And it was then that his father was distant from him and it kind of pointed him, that helped shape this kind of atheistic worldview that he developed. And as he would read people, he began to kind of align with the thinkers of that day in the atheistic view that life was meaningless and devoid of purpose. That he, he had this imagination, right? And he always had this creativity. And he felt that the only thing that was good was imaginary. But everything that was real was grim and worthless and meaningless. And what this did in his heart is he said it turned him very inward focused. He was very focused individually, an individualistic mindset where he was concerned with himself, his feelings, his emotions. But he said, as he continued to read, people like G.K. Chesterton and J.I. Packer, these Christian, other wise Christian men at the time, he said there was just like this sustenance. There was just something to what they were saying. It just seemed so much better than this other alternate worldview he was getting. And as he read, he said there was like something that just clung to his soul. He couldn't seem to let it go. He, no matter how hard he tried to get away from it, he just couldn't seem to. And so uh, it was C.S. Lewis who submitted his life to Christ and made him the Lord of his life. He said yes to following Jesus and his life was forever changed. And now we hold him as that. He gives this allegory or this example of his life and what it was like. He said, uh, you know, one time he went to Oxford, England, and he had never been before, and he was excited to see it, right? And, and wanted to see what is Oxford all about, all that it's promised to be. Well, way down with luggage, he got out of the train. C.S. Lewis got out of the train as he arrived in Oxford, and he took a turn, the wrong turn. And as he began to walk, he was like, man, these shops, unimpressive. These houses, they're nothing to write home about. And as he continued walking in this disappointment, he got to the edge of town only to realize he had turned the wrong way. And when he had turned around, he saw Oxford in its glory, right? And he said, this is an allegory for my life. This is an example of what my life was like. I was headed down the wrong path, the path of foolishness, but it was only when I turned backward, I could see all the glory that lay before me. You know, sometimes you have to turn backwards in order to go forwards. And so you might be a person who's in here today and you think I've done too many foolish things in my life. I've gone too far. You don't know what I've done. I've messed up too many things. There's no way that I could ever be considered a wise person or that God would ever even want anything to do with me. Sometimes you have to turn backwards in order to go forwards. And that's the great news of the gospel is that you're never too far gone. Just like the prodigal son, the story we see in the New Testament, 
how he's welcomed back in with open arms to God. God is standing, you know, God is in heaven right now with open arms welcoming you into the way of wisdom. We just have to have the hum- humility to say yes. Let's bow your heads. I just wanna ask, and uh, all of you who are watching online or you're in the room, have you ever said yes to following Jesus? As you hear about the fear of the Lord, have you ever said yes to following Jesus? If you haven't, and today you wanna do that, you wanna say yes, in humility, right? In reverence and respect, would you just say, I wanna say yes to following you, Jesus, today. I wanna make that decision. Just put your hand up in the air so we can pray for you. Yeah. I wanna pray with those people. God, we admit we're sinful. Out of fear for you, reverence and respect for you, we admit our sin, knowing that we've fallen short of your standard. God, we believe you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for us. We confess you as the Lord of our life. Today is the day we say yes to following you. Man, God, I pray that as we go throughout this series that we would, in humility, just seek after you and your wisdom. God, our biggest prayer is that you would take us as we're focused upward, you would send us outward, that we would go and we would be the church and demonstrate wisdom and understanding in the world around us and we would share the hope that we have in you. God, it's in your name we pray, amen.